<laughs> yes, anyway, I want to talk to you for a few minutes about lowering the bar, uh, having lowered expectations. Lowered expectations. I don't, uh, for those of you that are familiar with that, I never watched it, but I just learned about it this week. Uh, it was a mad TV thing. Anyway, don't watch it. Don't even check it out on YouTube. It'll be disgusting. Anyway, um, yeah, lowered expectation, lowered standards. Um, it's really interesting that I think um, for the most part when we hear that uh, about lowering our standards, we none of us would think we want to ascribe to that, right? That's not anything that we would uh, say to ourselves, gosh, I should just lower my standards. Although I will tell you in my research this week, which was kind of humorous, in the realm of relationships, you find a lot of stuff written in like psychology today, and I found some articles in Huffington Post and stuff about how you should lower your expectations when it comes to relationships. I don't know that I really agree with that. I think that uh, you should probably, if anything, raise your expectations on relationships. Maybe that's a big part of our problem in our culture is pretty low expectations when it comes to the way we relate with one another. But anyway... So I want to talk to you about that. When, uh, when I was growing up, we, uh, you know, it's, it's getting close to Olympic time, but in Summer Olympics, there was a big, one of the big events when I was growing up was um, the high jump. And one of the reasons why it was a big deal was because there was this guy, Dick Fosbury, he came up with the Fosbury flop. And uh, he was the first one to do, and he could jump a lot higher than anybody else, and mainly because of his technique. They would run up to the bar, and up until that point, people would try to kind of jump straight over, and he was the first one to go backward. And um, he just, well, at least the first one that was really successful at it, and um, did, did really well. So it became kind of a cool thing. So at our house, we were always trying to simulate these different things. So we weren't really a track family, but we decided we were going to have the summer games in our basement and the, the high jump was going to be one of them. So we, we, we took, a, we had a broom, we set the broom up and, um, if I remember right, it was weights. We had different weights on each side and our friend Shep was there and Shep, uh, the rules were once you knocked the broom off, you were out of the competition. So Shep was going to outsmart all of us um, because we set ours up. You know, we, we started right away with a chair or something or whatever. And on one side of the uh, broomstick were these pillows so it would soften your landing. That was our pit. And um, Shep decided that he just wanted to stay in the competition. And in fairness to Shep... Uh, it probably was a good move for him. He wasn't the most athletic guy. Um, so he, he took, he literally set up his broomstick about six inches off the ground, which we kind of mocked him. And uh, that's how we were as kids. And uh, anyway, if he were here today, I'd probably still be mocking him about it. But um, that's how I am as an adult. But anyway, so Shep was sure he could stay in the competition and sure enough, he came to do his Fosbury flop. The stick was about that high. Ran up and went to go backwards. And his heel hit the stick. Broomstick went flying. He's out of competition. And he misses the pillows. Breaks his wrist. It was a real flop. Broke his wrist, which then became a big discussion point around our house because our dad was always paranoid about being sued by our friends because of the crazy stuff we did around the house. So that conversation ensued. 
you kids, you know, we're going to be sued. It's like, well, good thing we have insurance. I mean, we, <laughs> Shep wasn't intent, but he got, he literally, so sometimes, the point being, sometimes setting the standard low is actually hazardous. And we don't even realize it. It's really not always good for you. As a matter of fact, um, I would say most of the time it's not good for any of us to intentionally set the bar low, to play it safe. That it creates problems for us at times. And I think that Jesus, when it, it came to some of the things that he said, the bar was just like as high as it could get, wasn't it? Like, the, check out this scripture in Matthew chapter 16. Starting with verse 24, it says, And then Jesus said to his disciples, talk about a high bar scripture, which obviously he speaks to us. He says, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life or her life will lose it. Whoever wants to lose their life for me will find it. What good will it be for a person if they gain the whole world, yet they forfeit their soul? Or what can a person give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what he has done. Can you say that after me? According to that which he has done. I think this is about as high as a bar can get, personally. I've always felt that way. Even before I gave my life to Christ, I thought, you know, the, Jesus really doesn't cut a lot of corners when it comes to expectation and desire for our life. He really thinks a lot of you. You, you, you do get that, don't you? you? You do understand that with that invitation comes this profound just belief in you, that you and I can live into that kind of scripture. It's a high bar. So I, I would just encourage us, instead of trying to live in maybe a hazardous way, maybe living in a more risk-taking way, a high bar way. When you talk about just the categories of the bars that are set in even the statement we just read, the first one that comes to my mind is the raising the bar of action that Jesus seemed to always appreciate and still seems to always appreciate action in our lives. Just that we would be action people. You see it throughout scripture, even in the menial tasks, right? It's, it's easy to not pay attention to this, but for instance, Jesus, the first miracle Jesus does, he's at a wedding, his mom comes to him and Mary says, hey, you know, these folks are out of wine and basically Jesus says, well, I wasn't really ready to do these kinds of things, but now I'll go for it. And he tells the servants, he says, hey, uh, go fill those pots, those empty pots over there with water. Doesn't seem like a big thing that they would say yes to that. And then he says, and then after you you fill them, then take them over to uh, the, the person that's in charge of the banquet and have them taste it. It doesn't seem like a big deal, but for some reason, to Jesus, action is a really big thing. It doesn't seem like a really big thing maybe to us when Jesus tells the disciples, okay, um, the, yeah, this little boy, he gave me the fish and a couple of fish and these loaves of bread, and now I'm going to give them to you to pass out. And there is this expectation from Jesus that they would say yes to that. 
right? And uh, it doesn't seem like a big deal uh, when Jesus tells us, for instance, says in scripture, you should pay your taxes. He tells lepers after uh, he has uh, kind of spoken into their lives, these 10 lepers, he says, just go show yourself to the priest. Doesn't seem like a big thing he's asking, but you still have to say yes to it. He tells a Samaritan woman at the well, uh, can you give me a drink? And it starts a conversation that literally changes a whole community through her life because of her obedience to simply responding to Jesus saying, give me a drink of water. Or when Peter is asked to throw the net from his boat to the other side of the boat. Doesn't seem like a big thing, the bar of action but the results are amazing. One of the things I've always loved about this church and about the leaders and really the, the way you guys respond to things is that you're action people, you're yes people. As a whole, yes people. Um, just this week, I received a letter from Ecclesia Church in Houston uh, that came back as just essentially a thank you for uh, the response that you all did when uh, the hurricane hit Houston and all of that terrible flooding went on. Thousands of dollars were collected, and the kids actually collected several thousand dollars. And it was phenomenal what went on. And it's interesting, one of the things that I love about the action of this church is that we don't need 35 committee meetings, we don't need a focus group, all we need to know is that Jesus is saying, can you help out here? and that you could be a yes person. I was in a meeting with Claire a couple of years ago. It was awesome. Uh, it was a state-level meeting for a, a general organization, and we're in this meeting. Claire and I were asked to be a part of this uh, futures committee, and they had come to this place where they were in a very difficult moment, and they were sharing this moment like, we don't know what we're going to do. They had support from another organization that suddenly had said, we're not going to help with that anymore. And Claire just said, we'll do that. Our church will do that. And I looked at her and I thought, I love that about her. And I don't know how we're going to do it, but I love that about her. Because Claire enters a room and says yes to Jesus. And you as a corporate group say yes, and you've been doing it from day one in this church. The question for us when it comes to the bar of action individually is, are you a yes person? because it does matter to Jesus. When you have that twinge of invitation to perhaps volunteer for something or to give something or to respond individually, are you a yes person? Can Jesus count on you to be the kind of person that takes action and simply says yes to throwing nets onto the other side of the boat even when it seems like it doesn't make sense? Because you're sure at times, and I'm sure at times that I'm more of an expert than Jesus is at certain things. So I'm the fisherman here. Anyway, the second bar that we see that Jesus alludes to consistently is this bar of obedience, which is a little bit different than action. The bar of obedience, that, that place where Jesus does ask Peter to cast the net onto the other side of the boat after he's worked all night and he's exhausted. Or that place where an angel shows up and asks Mary literally to house the Son of God and to take on a, a burden that none of us can fully embrace and relate to. 
the ridicule and, and the sense of being an outcast and how she would have to obediently lean into it and not just be obedient, but then says, be it done unto me as you have said, a servant of the Lord. That's obedience. See, because for me, what happens to me sometimes is, is when those kinds of invitations or invitations come, sometimes what's, what's true about me is there's times where I hesitate. I want to be the kind of person that immediately is obedient, but sometimes I am busy and sometimes I am fatigued or whatever, and that goes into it. But I want to be an obedient person when it comes to God's will and God's desire so grateful when God spoke to Claire and I early on uh, that we would be pastoring. Claire and I were just talking about this this week. I'm so grateful that I just said yes to that because quite frankly, if I wouldn't have said yes to that, I'm sure that I wouldn't be here in this place on this day with you all worshiping God and being able to celebrate the goodness of God over the years and what is even happening on this day in this moment through all of our lives. Obedience matters, and there is a bar that needs to be held up. See, because some of us in the room, the truth about some of us, it goes beyond hesitation, and some of us know we've had invitations, and some of us know that we're ignoring those invitations. I would just say this about those promptings and those things that you sense God speaks to you and speaks to me. I will just tell you through decades of experience that, that you will never regret. I have never found anybody that's had remorse or regret for responding obediently to an invitation they, they knew was coming from God. No one. I've never found that person. However, I, I can give you story after story of people that have remorse or regret for either waiting way too long to respond in obedience to God's invitation or they didn't respond at all. But usually you don't hear about those stories so in other words, when it comes to holding up the standard of obedience before God, it's simply about saying, I want to respond because I don't want to live in remorse. I don't want to live in regret. I don't want to be 10 years down the road and still trying to figure out if I want to respond obediently to, to God's invitation on my life. It could have to do with my giving. It could have to do with the way that I spend my time. It could have to do with a career invitation that I'm sensing God is giving to me, something God wants me to do as a project, whatever it might be for you. I don't know what it is. It's, it's a, the list can be as long as we can imagine. But obedience is a, is a standard that God seems to bless when we respond to it. So I would even say on this day that we recommit to that, that all of us would simply say afresh, I just recommit to obedience. I just recommit, you know, I kind of have gotten to a place perhaps where uh, I've moved into a season in my life where I've done a lot of obedience and now I'm at a place where I feel like I can go along for the ride and enjoy watching other people be obedient. But I would challenge and invite all of us today to say, why don't we just all say afresh, God, I know the fruit of, I've experienced the fruit of obedience in my own life. I just receive it afresh that I would recommit to that on this day. There's the, there's the bar of credit. Who gets credit for the amazing things in your life and mine See, because Jesus 
the promise for Mary is that Jesus would come forth and that all of those actions and obedient steps she's taken, the promise was is that there would be the promise kept on the other side, and it does happen. And the book of Luke records almost a full chapter of Mary's worship service and giving credit to God because she knows it's beyond her. She's been an obedient action person, and now the miracle has come to pass. Peter does throw the net on the other side of the boat, and the boat is so loaded up, they need two boats to, to get the load of fish. The fish literally seem to be, imagine what's happening. It seems when the net goes in the water that the fish seem to swim from all over the lake. They're like swimming over each other to get into that net. And Peter knows this has nothing to do with natural fishing. He knows this is beyond that. And the scripture tells us that Peter kneels before Jesus and just begins to worship him. Who gets the credit? Who deserves the credit? It's the worship credit test in our lives. That sense of knowing that Jesus really is in a whole different league. And I can bring my best self and I can... I can, I can lean in with the best person that I have, but at the end of the day, there is this place that goes so far beyond you and I, and only God deserves credit for that. I was thinking about January, uh, January for Claire and I, and some of the things that we've experienced and we've experienced as a church, and I started thinking about, there have been several people in the month of January that had miraculous uh, things happen in their health miraculously their lives were saved or restored. God did something amazing. And whether we got to participate that in praying for them or just having conversation with them, no one can deny the fact that Jesus worked miracles in people's lives. Significant connections, I think about, that happened just in January. Things that are more than just natural connections that happen. Financial breakthroughs that I've seen happen in January. Only God. Only God can turn things around that way. And I could go into all those stories and the details of them, but you and I know this, that God deserves the credit for the goodness that goes so far beyond any goodness that we can bring into our life. Yes. So know this, that when we're quick to fall on our knees, when we're quick to give credit for the blessings that God's releasing into our lives, when the, the doors that seem to open supernaturally the disasters that are averted that we don't even know are averted till perhaps if we ever know about them till years later. When we open ourselves up to a heart of gratitude, it brings such a deep richness to our lives that the one that we serve can be trusted and credited with all of that, all of that goodness, and our heart is enlarged. And what happens is additional amounts of favor get released. I don't understand it. I don't fully comprehend it, but I also, for all of that, give God the credit. I have watched it over and over and over again. If you don't think that coming in on a Sunday morning, for instance, and really entering into gratitude and worship when we sing together or we take communion 
We pray together. If you don't think that has a profound effect on our lives, I would just submit to you that it really does. That when you come in and you might say, well, I'm just not wired that way or whatever, when you begin to open up and I begin to open up myself and you, you open yourself up to deeper levels of gratitude and acknowledgement of the one who deserves all the credit for the amazing things in our lives, God begins to release his favor in our lives in a greater way. Gratitude is a magnet. Worship and credit is a magnet for the presence of God, for the activity of the Holy Spirit. How are you doing with this bar? How is your gratitude level? The fourth bar that we see Jesus communicate is this issue of greater purpose, that when you live into this understanding of, you know, um, I was created uniquely, you were created uniquely with gifts and talents, and then there's these places where suddenly you see Awesome things happen. You see powerful things happen. You see it through the scripture, for instance, where Jesus would do something and then somebody would respond in awe and then Jesus would say, you know, you think that's cool. What I'm going to get you into is the people business. Eternally affecting people's lives forever. And Jesus takes our, our walking along life the skills and the talents, the work that we put our hands to and our minds to and the creativity that we have, and he, superchar- he invites us to let that be supercharged. He invites us to a life of greater purpose and vision. He says, you've been doing that, and that is wonderful. You keep it up, but I'm going to show you that there's a greater purpose to your life. I'll make you a fisher of men and women, for instance, after the goodness and the miracles, that there's more, he literally says. See, one of our dreams as a church from day one has been one of our values, one of our core values is that personal development. So in every way, the encouragement is that we as a people would develop, not just spiritually, but we would develop in every way. So for instance, the work that you put your hands to and your mind to, your profession, those things, that you should excel at that thing. You should be the most influential you can. And that, we believe, is an invitation from God for all of us. And we should encourage one another to be the best students that we can be, the best teacher that you can be, the best business owner that you can be, that you take your giftedness and you lean into that with the best. Be the best nurse. Be the best business leader, the best business owner. Be the person that is the best farmer that you can be. You try to figure out how can I excel at what I do and then trust God to take it to a whole different level beyond your profession. There's a couple that live in Oklahoma, and they had a pump company. They still do, actually, in Oklahoma, and and they created water wells and water pumps, and they had six employees, Dick Greenlee, they're both, and Terry Greenlee, people of deep faith, and anyway, God did this amazing thing in their lives where God moved into their life, and they were kind of living just their going-along life trying to be the best business owners that they could be, and then God interrupted their life. And I've got a little video clip to show you, and it's interesting because uh, this is actually Dick. He's going to talk about, this is a TED Talk, he's going to talk about, you'll notice he'll say, and then uh, in the middle of the rubble or something that there are these names that are crumbling. He's talking about a moment that he has 
where God begins to speak to him and say, I have created you for more than just selling pumps and wells. I've got a bigger plan. Check this video out. And these How are the kinds of How do you know at the end of the does. day what you did in life mattered? How do you know at the end of the day what you did in life made a difference? So we decided to have a, the brilliant idea of taking this I, of this, this manual drilling method into a nonprofit entity. We, we formed Water 4 in 2008 to go and train people how to drill water wells on our own. We're not the United Nations, so we can't just be giving thousands and thousands of dollars every time somebody needs a well, but maybe we could uh, professionalize this manual drilling. And sure enough, we started going to every country that it would invite us in. Uh, the, the cost to drill these wells is a tenth of the cost of a normal uh, machine dug well. These machine dug wells are $10,000 to $15,000 each. Our wells are $1,000 to $1,500 each. And we're putting the locals to work drilling their own wells. Well, after going to all these countries and saying yes to every project that came about, um, a big organization came knocking on our door called World Vision. And World Vision at the time, was a $2.7 billion organization. They had 44,000 employees. And they came and said, hey, we'd like to partner with you. And I'm like, okay, sure, yeah, there's six of us. And I'm thinking, well, you know, we're not even your sticky note budget. Well, you know, I don't think we're your coffee budget for one of your offices. What does partnership mean? Well, we, we think what you're doing is fantastic. We want to make it bigger. So let's do a pilot project. So in their mind, a pilot project is a 7,000 well project. So of course, there's six of us. I said, yeah, sure. That sounds like a good thing. Let's do 7,000 well project. <laughs> it ends up being the largest freshwater drilling project in the world right here out of Oklahoma, right roots out of Oklahoma State University. So how are we going to get money for this? Well, World Vision says, of course, you need to raise the money for this. Um, and I said, okay, well, yeah, there's six of us. We should be able to raise $20 million. Shouldn't be a problem. So we said yes and went ahead and did it. Um, well, we look up, and all of a sudden, we have a manufacturing facility in Ghana. We have a manufacturing, manufacturing facility in Ethiopia. And out of these facilities, we're able to, we're able to drill, when we're at full strength, around 2,500 wells per year. Just to give you a frame of reference, in one of these countries, you might get 500 wells right now on a good year. We're going to be at ramping up because we're training these locals to do this as their own business. We're going to be able to drill 2,500 wells a year. We want to build 40 of these facilities. We've built two. We want to build 40. And if you do the math, one of these drill teams can drill around 40 wells per year. So you got the 40 wells per year, you got the 2,500 uh, uh, per facility. Um, this turns out to be a million wells that we're going to be able to drill in about 10 years after our last facility is up and running full blast. So we thought, why not drill a million wells? I think we can do that, sure. A million wells basically fixes Africa. And this all came, I didn't want to do this. I wanted to go play golf. I was on a tennis team up here. I wanted to play tennis. I didn't want to travel around to these places, but you know what? It came by, by asking why. I want to challenge us 
to ask why. Why are you doing what you're doing? We're real big in America on what do you do and how do you do it. Um, I don't think we spend enough time on the why. When I finally figured out why I was doing this, oh my goodness, the, the what I do and how I do it became on steroids because I had something I was looking for. I think it's really important for us to ask those questions, to deliberately spend time on figuring out why are you doing what you're doing? Why are you going to school? Why are you have this career path? Is it just about making a few bucks? Because at the end of the day, I keep watching Joe and Nancy come toppling down uh, off of that building and being hauled to the landfill. Make sure at the end of the day, what you did in your career mattered. Make sure at the end of the day, what you did in your life made a difference. Thank you. So this morning, on this day, there are a billion people in the world that have no fresh water. 5,000 5, children will die today because of lack of fresh water. However, God sees every problem. And God has created you with amazing gifts. He has placed you in a career or a place of influence. And he simply wants us to be the best we can be and then pay attention. There is no problem. There are a lot of problems that go beyond water. But there is no problem that God's not aware of. And there is no solution that is beyond God. And we are his hands and his feet. You can't make those kinds of things happen, but we can make ourselves available, which leads to the last bar. Scripture's incredible, isn't it? If you want to gain your life, you lose your life. In other words, you need to abandon your life. Now, I don't think what Jesus is saying here is it's good enough just to abandon your life because he says if you want to gain your life, you lose your life. So it's not just about asceticism. It's not just about, I'll just be deeply disciplined and stop doing certain things and abandon those things, abandon my life. God has an intent to uh, not just come to a place of, God, I give my life to you. I abandon my agenda, but then you make yourself available to his agenda. See, you can budget your money, but if you're just budgeting your money to budget your money, there's really not a, there's really not a lot of goodness in that. Might make your life a little more comfortable, but at the end of the day, it's really not going to make a huge impact on the world. You might like to fast and go without food, and if you just fast so that maybe, you know, there's benefits to fasting. But if you just go without food to just go without food, there might be some benefits for you in the short term or long term, but if you're not making yourself available to God in the midst of that process, you're not gaining the life he has for you. If, if your relational world is just all about pleasure, 
just how can you gain more pleasure? There would be, you could argue that there's some benefits to that for you. But if there's, you're not making yourself, your relational world available, if, you're, if it's all about your agenda and you won't abandon your agenda for the agenda of God, making yourself available to the goodness of God, his plan for your relational world, it might feel good for you, it might work out okay for you, but what the invitation here is to gain a life that we trust is much greater. Claire and I have talked about this over the years with our relationship and how much deep gratitude we have for it. But quite frankly, um, there's a lot of sacrifice in our relationship. Because we understand that we have, we have lost our life, so to speak, and we have made ourselves available to a different life. And quite frankly, I would never want it any other way. And there are times that we share each other with different things because we've made ourselves available to that. So if you want to gain your life, if you want to really raise the bar, you got to think a little bit different. Because none of us wants to miss the pillows, kick over the broomstick, and end up collapsed on a floor with a broken wrist because we've played it too safe. Let's stand. And as we stand and get ready to pray, I just have a question that I want to leave us with, a couple of thoughts. When you think about these five bars that we've talked about today, I would just say that if you feel like you're setting the bar high in all of those areas, just celebrate that and just continue on in that. Just give God thanks for giving you the strength and showing you how important that is for your life. But then for some of us, we would say, you know, when I, when I scan the five different bars that we were just talking about, there's maybe this one bar that I could really shore up. I even, it, it, there was a twinge in me when we talked about it. And I would just say to God, God, what are we going to do about that? What might I need to do about that with you? And I ask for your strength. So even now, all around this room, God, we do pray for your strength pray for your goodness. We trust you. We know that when you say things to us like, if we want to gain our life, we lose it, that, that's a pretty high bar. It goes against a lot of what, what we just feel. But we know greater than our feelings and greater than the sense of all of that is this knowing in our heart that we can trust you. So we trust you, God. We trust you for this journey, and we do embrace this life that you promise, not just for, the, uh, not just for eternity, but on this day, for this part of our life, for this part of our journey, you promise a life that seems to be so much better than the life some of us have been in pursuit of. So we receive your goodness and your strength. In Jesus' name.
rose between us and by the cross you came and broke them down you broke them down there are chains around us by your grace we are no longer bound no longer bound you call me out of the God, whose love proved that you are loved. Bless you guys. Have an awesome week.